Tonight's scripture reading will be read from John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. They have done good until the resurrection of life, and they have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Good evening and welcome. We're certainly glad you're here tonight. We're going to be looking at John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, the passage that was read just a moment ago. We're grateful for your presence, and we hope that what is said tonight will be encouraging to you. We're going to be talking tonight in our lesson about the day the cemeteries come alive. The cemetery has been called the silent city of the dead. When I was a teenager, one of the things that I did to make money was cut grass. My senior year in high school, I remember cutting a lawn, and there was a cemetery up on the hill behind me, and so the guy that was the caretaker of the cemetery came down, talked to me, and asked me if I'd be willing to come up and cut grass for so much per hour. And so I told him I would, and so I went and cut grass at a cemetery for about a week. And for many of us, especially if you're a young person and it becomes dark and cloudy and looks like it's going to rain, it can be somewhat frightening to be in the middle of a cemetery. And yet, in many respects, if you think about it, a cemetery is probably one of the safest places on the earth. Who's going to bother you? Typically, cemeteries are gated in. And the gates are not so much for the residents, but rather to keep people out. But nonetheless, when you think about a cemetery, in most instances, nothing bad ever happens. It's just a place where we, as members of the human family, place our loved ones until the resurrection. So in John chapter 5, Jesus makes a great statement that ought to be encouraging to all of us because, in effect, what he's saying is there is coming a day in which all of the cemeteries will come alive. Listen to him again. Verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I want to begin tonight by first of all talking about the unbreakable promises of the Lord. And I think really we need to remember the unbreakable promises of the Lord because Jesus said, do not marvel. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice. First, we think about the truth as it relates to the resurrection. Did you know that Jesus had the authority to discuss the resurrection? After all, Jesus would say that all authority had been vested in Him. In Matthew 28, verse 18, he said, All power, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. 
In Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, God said, speaking of Christ, that we are to hear Him because He is His beloved Son. In John chapter 5, Jesus said many, many years ago that the Father has committed or granted judgment to the Son. So one day Jesus will ultimately judge us. So we think about the authority that He possesses to discuss the resurrection. And then there's a second thing. Jesus not only has the authority to discuss the resurrection, but He has the ability to deliver on the resurrection. In other words, Jesus doesn't promise us something that hopefully will come to fruition or possibly come to fruition, but rather what He is saying is it is an ironclad fact. Jesus has the ability to deliver on the resurrection. Now, there are a lot of people in the corporate world that sell products and services, and those who use their services sometimes will ask, can you deliver on this product? Can you make it happen? Well, when it comes to the resurrection, what Jesus is saying is, I can make it happen. How do I know that? Well, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, do you remember Jesus said, I am He who lives and was dead. And then he said, Behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and death. In other words, Jesus possesses the authoritative keys to open the doors to the cemeteries, doesn't he? So the silent city of the dead will one day come to life. And then there is the time of the resurrection. I want you to listen again to what Jesus said, beginning in verse 28. Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the grave will hear His voice and come forth. First, the resurrection will occur on the last actual day. We live today on a planet that is governed by time. And we talk about our week begins on Sunday. It finishes out on Saturday, doesn't it? Seven days a week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Well, at some point in time, the judgment will com commence, won't it? It might commence on a Monday. It might commence on a Friday. Who knows? But it will be on the last day. That is the last actual day. In John chapter 6, Jesus makes a statement three times in that chapter about the future resurrection. He said, I will raise him up at the last day. Three times. Now think about that. Jesus is saying, there is coming a day in which I will raise the dead. So not only will the resurrection occur at the last actual day, but I would submit to you that it will occur on the Lord's appointed day. Let me give you a passage of Scripture. In Acts chapter 17, you remember the Apostle Paul was in the city of Athens. He spent time there conversing with the elite of that day intellectually. The philosophers, the intellectual giants of that day. And in Acts chapter 17, we have a record of the Apostle Paul preaching the one true God to those in Athens. And then in verse 30 he said, the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Well, why, Paul? He tells us. In verse 31 he said, 
He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has appointed. He's given assurance in that He raised Him from the dead. You see, Jesus Christ came forth from the grave three days after, being, after having been put to death. He, as we would say, broke the bonds of death. When Jesus was crucified on Calvary, His heel was bruised, wasn't it? When He arose, when he arose three days later, He delivered to Satan a death blow. He bruised the head of the serpent, based on Genesis chapter 3 at verse 15. So there is, a, there is an appointed day in which God will judge the world. I mentioned a moment ago that judgment has been committed into the hands of the Son. Look at verse 27. Well, in verse 26, he said, As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. So one day Jesus is going to come, and the Bible tells us he'll come with all of his holy angels. He will be seated upon the throne of His glory. All nations will be gathered before Him. And John said in Revelation chapter 20, that would consist of the small and the great. Everyone will be there from Adam forward. We'll stand before God. The books will be open. That would have to do with the Old Testament books, 39 books, and the New Testament books, 27 books. Those of us living today will be judged by the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. It is identified by James in James 1.25 as the perfect law of liberty. The standard by which we're going to be judged is God's holy word. Paul said in Romans chapter 2, verse 2, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Now somebody might ask the question, what is truth? Well, Jesus said in John 17.17, 17, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. In John 12, verse 48, Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same he said, shall judge him in the last day. So the Son will execute judgment. The standard by which we'll be judged is the Word of God. So what does that say about how well we ought to know God's Word? Well, to be extremely knowledgeable about the Bible. Do you remember Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God always in your heart. Be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Do you know why you believe? Do you know why you believe what you believe? Sometimes we ask the question, do you know why you're a Christian? Do you know what it means to be a Christian? Could you defend your faith? That's what Peter's saying. You need to have enough spiritual arsenal, or rather spiritual bullets in your arsenal to defend your faith. So, First, remember the unbreakable promise of the Lord. And what Jesus is saying is, look, there is an hour coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice. But then secondly, remember the unshakable power of the Lord. Listen again as Jesus speaks of the resurrection. Do not marvel at this, the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I want to begin by talking about the voice that will be heard at the resurrection. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel. I've asked this question before, and I'll ask it again. Have you ever heard the voice of an archangel? I never have. I've never heard the voice of a cherubim, nor have I heard the voice of seraphim. I've not heard the voice of any angelic being, but I believe in them. They are incorporeal beings. In other words, they are spirit beings. And God made them. And the Bible says that Jesus will come with all His holy angels. He will be seated upon the throne of His glory. All nations will be gathered before Him. But on that great and final day, on that last actual day, on the Lord's appointed day, we will hear the voice of the archangel. That's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But then there's a second thing, and that has to do with the victorious hope of the resurrection. I want to approach this point maybe a little bit differently for a moment. I want you to think about for a minute or two, what if the resurrection of Jesus had never occurred? What if the Lord, on numerous occasions, foretold of His death burial and resurrection but didn't fulfill that prophecy what then you remember Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 4 that Jesus was declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead all right first Corinthians chapter 15 look with me for just a moment at first Corinthians chapter 15 I want you to see something here as it relates to the resurrection because we talk about the victorious hope of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what Paul is really stressing here is the validity of the resurrected Christ. He points out that Jesus was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, verse 6, and then he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Verse 7, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Verse 8, then Paul said, last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. So drop down now, if you would, and look at verse 12. Beginning in verse 12, Paul said, Now if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some say among you that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And he said, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain. There are five points that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 relating to the validity of the resurrection of Jesus and the Christian faith. And what he's saying is, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, number one, our preaching is pointless. In other words, why go through the motions? Why preach and teach the gospel? Everything stands or falls on the resurrection of Christ, does it not? Peter said that we have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled. He said, if faith's not away, it's reserved in heaven for you. And the basis of that is the resurrection of Jesus, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We have a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, first and foremost, what Paul is saying is, our preaching, it's pointless. No sense in preaching the gospel. Number two, listen to what Paul said. He said, our preaching would be pointless. Look at verse 6, 16, or rather 15. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, 
because we testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead do not rise. So number two, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, the disciples, the apostles, they were deceivers. That's what He's saying here. He calls them false witnesses of God because they've been going out preaching and teaching the resurrected Christ. In, First Peter chapter, or rather in Acts chapter 3, we have the second recorded gospel sermon presented by Peter. And Peter points out, speaking of the resurrected Christ, he said, look, you put to death the prince of life whom God raised up. He said, we're witnesses of that. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke tells us that Jesus presented Himself alive by many infallible proofs over the space of 40 days. The disciples, as you well know, were willing to die for their faith. And what Paul is saying is, look, number one, if the resurrection is false, if there's nothing about the resurrection that's true, our preaching, it's pointless. The disciples, he said, they're nothing more than deceivers. And then number three, our faith, it'd be futile. Look again at verse 14. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain. He said, in your faith is also vain. In verse 17, if Christ is not risen, your faith is what? It's futile. Now we talk about the faith that we have in God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I was not present, nor were you, when Jesus came forth from the dead. I did not have the privilege, like Thomas, of examining the physical evidence. In other words, weighing the evidence, putting my hands on the evidence. Thomas did. The other apostles, they had the opportunity to see Jesus following the resurrection. And so, on that basis, they had tremendous faith. Our faith is a result of what? Reading and studying this book. Do I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Because I believe the testimony that has been given to us by inspired writers is true. Absolutely true. Now there's a fourth thing I want you to see. Look at verse 17. Paul said, if Christ is not risen, he said, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Here's what he's saying. If Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, sin is sovereign. In other words, the idea that your sins have been remitted, forgiven, not true. No way, shape, form, or fashion. But Jesus did break the bonds of death, didn't He? We're not still in our sins. We have the assurance that we are forgiven people, don't we? And then there is a fifth thing. Look at verse 18. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in, this, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, he said, we are of all men the most pitiable. Fifthly, what he's saying is, if the resurrection hasn't occurred, death would have dominion. In other words, what hope would we have beyond the grave? None. But we do have hope beyond the grave. Because as Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, I am He who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And He said, I have the keys of Hades and death. 
The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death. Listen to him. That is the devil. Jesus destroyed death. Now, is it, is it not the case that we die today? Yes, we do. But there is coming a point in time in history on the Lord's appointed day that the sting of death will be over. As a matter of fact, Paul says, listen to him in verse 26, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So, as we look at John chapter 5, we remind ourselves of the unshakable power of the Lord. But note, if you would, the third thing. Remember the unmistakable provisions of the Lord. Two things here. First, the greatness of the resurrection. Secondly, the glory of the resurrection. Did you know that when that final resurrection day comes about, it will be a time of gladness for saints, won't it? Those of us who belong to the family of God, do we fear the second coming of Christ? We look forward to the second coming of Christ with great anticipation. Because we understand that ultimately when it's all said and done, we'll go home to be with God forever. Here's what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 22 verse 14. Blessed are the dead, or rather blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. As a child of God, as somebody that has fellowship with the Lord, I have, you have the assurance that when it's all said and done, we'll go home to be with God, won't we? It's going to be a time of gladness, a time of joy, a time of ecstasy to think that we made it, we got home. But then... In light of that, listen to what Jesus said. He said, The hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear His voice, and they'll come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, we will be raised from the dead to live, to die no more. Now, understandably, sometimes there's confusion about what happens at death. The physical body resides in the cemetery. That's why it's called the silent city of the dead. But the inner man, the spirit, the soul, lives on, doesn't it? You remember what Paul said? To live is Christ, to die is gain, to depart and be with Christ is far better. In Luke chapter 16, we can read about Lazarus who died and was carried by the angels into the bosom of Abraham. John said, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord, that they may rest from their labors. And he said, Their works do follow them. So we're at rest, we're in paradise, we're in the bosom of Abraham, but there is conscious existence in that Hadean realm. We're in a place called paradise or the bosom of Abraham. It will be a time of sadness for sinners. I don't think that there is any way that I can do justice to this point in terms of identifying for you just how bad a day it will be when the Lord comes and people will be separated from the righteous. 
I don't think I can impress upon anyone the gravity of that scenario. You see, Jesus said that those who have done good, they're going to come forth to the resurrection of life, but those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. In other words, on the one hand, you have the saved going to heaven. On the other hand, you have sinful man, whether those who have never obeyed the gospel or those who have obeyed the gospel, gone back into the world, lived the life of a reprobate, they'll be separated in a place called hell. You see, Jesus said that he'll say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There's coming a day of gladness and sadness. Gladness for the righteous, sadness for the unrighteous. And so, it'll be a great day in many respects for the righteous. In Revelation chapter 20, when John said that he saw the king sitting upon his throne, he said he saw the dead, the small and the great. Can you imagine all the people that will be present on that great day? I can't begin to process the vast numbers of people. Last month, Nancy and I had the opportunity to go to Augusta, Georgia, and go to the Masters. Never been to Augusta, Georgia, never been to the Masters before, and it was quite an experience. But the day we went, unfortunately, it began to rain, and lightning and other things, and so... They cleared the course. They evacuated the grounds. So everybody had to pack up and leave. At 12.30, they said the gates will be reopened and people can flow back. So we got there about 12.30, and you just would not believe the hordes of people. And what was so amazing, you had people coming from the left, from the right. I mean, they were coming from every direction. And I mean, I'm talking about unbelievable multitudes of people. And I thought about the judgment. And I thought about how many people will be present on that great and final day. It'd be something to be there. And guess what? We'll all be there. Second thing, what about the glories of the resurrection? Well, according to Jesus, when He comes, those who have been living for Him, they will be raised to life, will they not? So as a child of God, here's what we have to look forward to. As God's people, we will we'll be home for good. When I went to Lipscomb many years ago, I grew up in Chattanooga, and so Lipscomb's about 125 miles up the road, Nashville, Tennessee. The first year or two, or maybe the first year, you're a little bit homesick at times, at least when you went home. You'd get homesick, then you'd come back, you'd get used to it again, then you'd go home and the cycle would repeat. But I can remember when Friday would roll around and I'd think about going home. I could not wait to get home. And I had a Camaro. And sometimes I'd have that Camaro stuffed with people. All of us going to Chattanooga, maybe four people in the car. And we are buzzing down the highway flying. Well, why? Because we want to get home. But then, on Sunday afternoon or Sunday night, guess what? We had to pack up and go back to school. 
There's coming a day when we'll go home for good. That home is heaven. Not only will we go home for good, but we will be happy for good. I want to close by reading for you a passage in Revelation chapter Look at Revelation chapter 21 for just a moment. I want you to see something here in light of the resurrection. John in Revelation chapter 21 said, I saw a new heaven, a new earth. First heaven, the first earth had passed away. He said, there's no more sea. He said, then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he'll dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So there's coming a day when we as the people of God, we're going home, aren't we? We are going home for good. But then look at verse 4. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He said, there shall be no more death nor sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For these former things have passed away. Now, let me ask this question. If you're in a place that knows no death, no sorrow, no pain, no suffering, no crying, why would you want to leave? And we talk about going home for good, but will we not be happy for good, if you know what I'm saying? In other words, it'll always be great. You know, sometimes we experience momentary delights in life. There are times when we are on the mountaintop. And then there are times when we're in the valley. And sometimes when we get down in the valley, we appreciate more being on the mountaintop. But if you look at life, it's a series of peaks and valleys, isn't it? Up and down, up and down, up and down. There are good times and there are bad times. There are times of joy, there are times of frustration. There are times of success, there's times of, there are times of failure. But when you think about going to heaven, all of the sorrows and all of the disappointments and heartaches and setbacks, all of those, they're over. You don't have to worry about what's on the horizon. You don't have to worry about, okay, what's looming around the corner? What's ahead? You don't have to worry about that. Why? Because you're home for good and you'll be happy for good. Why? Because you'll be with the Lord. You'll be in a place immune to all the things that we experience here on planet Earth. It's an amazing place called heaven. And the beauty of it is that it's open to anybody. I mentioned the Masters a moment ago. It is an unusual place, to say the least. And I guess in many respects, it was every bit as advertised. It's kind of like the Garden of Eden. I've never been to the Garden of Eden, but that's kind of what I would picture it. It's just this incredible place in the middle of town. The thing that strikes me about Augusta National. You don't just call up and tell them, I'd like to be a member there. You don't tell them, let me send you so much money and, and you can make me one of your members. It doesn't work that way. It is an exclusive club. Well, that's not true for heaven. 
doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter how old you are, young or old, doesn't matter your skin color, doesn't matter what your education is, etc. Look, all that matters is did you obey God? Did you do what the Bible says to do? Remember what John said, blessed are, the, blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. Heaven is open to all. It is a prepared place for prepared people. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, look, we want you to become a child of God. What would you need to do? Believe Jesus to be the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of every sin, Luke 13, 3. Confess His name before others, Matthew 10, 32. Be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts 2, 38. If you'll do that, God will put you in the church, Acts 2, 47. And the Bible assures us that if you'll be faithful until death, God will bestow on you the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. If you're here tonight and maybe as a child of God, you're not what you ought to be, why not come home? Why not let us pray with you and for you as we stand and sing?